Welcome to Network, the show where we teach pastors how to continue to cast the net of the gospel. I'm your host, Scott Smith of Evangelism Ministries here at the Georgia Baptist Convention. We're in studio today with Dr. Steve Parr, and we're thrilled to have him because he's got a groundbreaking book out that you're going to want to know about. We're going to be discussing that a lot today. Steve is the Vice President of Staff Coordination and Development here at the GBC. Steve, thanks for being in studio with us. Glad to be here, Scott. And, of course, uh, I used to be a part of this regular feature when I served in evangelism some years ago, and glad to be back. Yours is a familiar voice. There's no question about it. And uh, and it's neat neat to, to be in the studio with you for multiple reasons, but you actually have sat in this chair uh, for a long, long time here at the GBC. So uh, the perspective you bring today is is broad, really, uh, and, and has a great deal of evangelism tied into it. Absolutely. So we're, we're thrilled, and it's such a fit for this podcast and what we're wanting to get out to pastors. But we want to talk about your book, Why They stray now i actually misquoted the title you did and you're going to notice that when you see the book right. for those that have not seen the book the r is x'd out because this book is really about uh why they stay uh obviously for a long time we've had concerns it's never been more difficult to reach millennials and young families that is the question of the day most everywhere we go we're getting asked a lot about how do we keep the ones that we have and how do we reach the ones that we don't and you actually take one angle of that and why they stay. But really, up front, what is the, the bottom line about what this book is about? Well, I can tell you by asking you and the audience a question, and it would be this. Do you want your children and your grandchildren to be in church 20 years and 30 years now? Let put it this way. When your children are 25, 35, and 45, do you want them to be active in church and still serving the Lord? If your answer is yes, then you will want to read this book as a parent or as a church leader, not just your children, how about the children that attend Sunday school or Bible study in your church, those who attend your children's worship? Do you want them in church? Then you want your church leaders to read this because, as you noted, it is very insightful and takes a whole different approach from previous books about what keeps young people connected to church. How would it be different? I know there are a lot of books out there on this topic, so talk to us a little yeah, bit about what sets this book apart. Great question, because a lot has been written about why we're losing young adults, and there's no doubt about it. And I'm an optimist, but the reality is – in North America, we're facing an erosion in church attendance. You, you can't deny it. In John Dixon's book, The Great Evangelical Recession, he notes two primary reasons. One is, he says on page 35, we're having difficulty connecting the gospel to this current younger generation. Uh, you know, in the past, we always had kind of a tool that we could use that really connected. We're, we're really wrestling with that right now in the evangelical church. He said the second thing is that we're losing our own kids. As a matter of fact, the data right now shows that we're losing about two of every three high school graduates right now. That is unprecedented. What's that going to mean for the church 15 and 20 and 30 years from now? And although this is not a, a podcast directly about evangelism, if we don't address this issue, Scott, who's going to tell the next generation? If we don't keep our own kids, there's nobody to share the gospel 15 and 20 years from now. So what we did is we did a national survey, multi-denominational, uh, North American, not just here in Georgia, uh, credible scientific survey of young adults aged 26 to 39 who grew up attending church. But instead of asking why we're losing young people, we studied the ones who are still there and asked why did they stay. And the results have been powerful. It's proactive. It's positive. Uh, you can get your hands on it. And I guarantee you as a parent or as a church leader, you will see immediately some things you can begin to implement that will make a difference in the likelihood that your children will be in church when they're 25 and 35. 
That's fascinating. I'm really anxious to get to some of the findings. Uh, I want to ask, ask a little bit more about the study. You, you mentioned it's multi-denominational. It is. Are these other denominations outside of SBC, are they are they SBC friendly? I mean, are these the denominations that we generally, are they evangelical main, mainline denominations? I would, I would say mainline, but not necessarily evangelical, meaning not all necessarily conservative. But that was also very telling and very helpful. We found a couple of things that it will help you. Uh, especially for those of us who have a higher view of Scripture that was really affirmed. We could talk about that a little bit. Okay. But uh, it was, uh, you know, mainline churches. Uh, not, I don't want to call out who it was not, but it was not cultic churches and things. It would be <laughs> right. a, a church any of your uh, audience members listening to this would be comfortable attending, okay. uh, although sure. it might not be in your denomination. I understand. Okay, yeah. that's that's helpful. Okay, so so you, you came out with the study and, and, and begin to review the data. Tell us about some of the big takeaways. Yeah, well, we, we found 15 big takeaways, but let me illustrate it quickly, Scott. Uh, I want you to imagine, imagine that uh, you've got a, a, a ship in a harbor, and you know there's a storm coming, and you want to keep that ship secure. So what you do is you throw out an anchor, and the anchor is not going to be, you know, buffeting against the dock or the shore or whatever, and it stays safer. But the reality is you could do better if you'll throw out two anchors, one in the front and one in the back. It makes it even more secure. But, hey, how about throwing out four anchors? Mm. The more anchors you throw out, the more secure the ship will be. And it's not just the number of anchors but the weight of the anchors. In other words, if you throw out an 8-ounce anchor, it's just going to float around. It's not going to do any good. You need a 200-pound anchor. Well, we found 15 very heavy anchors. Oh, that's good. And the more anchors you throw out, the more secure the ship is. Well, in this case, the more anchors you throw out as a parent and as a church, the more likely your child will be in church at 25 and 35 and serving the Lord. So we need to understand what the anchors are and begin to help you to throw those out. Now, I want you to know quickly also, we found 10 other anchors that were lighter and uh it may not sound like much, but when you throw out 10 light anchors, they can add up, so to speak. So there are 25 total. Honestly, I typically focus on the heavier 15 so that I can give somebody the quickest, most effective application they can get on the very front end. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm anxious. All right, give us give us some of the anchors. Well, let's talk about, let's go to the home first because, you know, the home, the church, the community, and so forth. Let me just give you one in the home that we found uh, that was very important that your uh, audience can begin to apply immediately. It's interesting that when mom and dad love each other, when somebody, they're, they're 35, and they say, you know, when I was growing up, my mom and dad loved each other. They were more likely to be in church than someone whose parents had a rocky marriage or where the marriage was dissolved. And I want to wow. say it, make a statement right here, Scott. Uh, for those who experience divorce, there's no condemnation in, in what I'm about to share here at all because a lot of people have been on that pathway, and sometimes— uh, it was not of their own doing. Sometimes they contributed, but we can all make mistakes. But we need to be intellectually and spiritually honest here and understand when that is part of our life's equation, uh, there is a consequence for our children. Now, if you've been down that path, uh, that does not mean your children won't be in church. What it means is you better understand what the other anchors are and mm-hmm. begin to throw those That's out good. to compensate for it. But I want to say to those who are in a marital relationship right now, uh, one of the, if I'm talking to a man right now, I'd say one of the best things you can do for the spiritual nurture and discipleship of your own child is to love his mother. Mm-hmm. Now you would you would never think of that, but let me show you yeah. what that is. Let me give you an example. Imagine, uh, and, and I'll let you answer this on behalf of the audience, Scott. Imagine you're eight years of age, and your parents their 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 marriage is is rough. I mean, they're you talk about arguing. It is it, there's no peace at home. Doors are slamming. Threats are being made. People are walking out. Now, if you're, you're eight years old and you go to church and your parents go to church 
and they say they believe the Bible and they believe in the power of God. And and the child then, when this is going on, children pray. They learn to pray. God answers prayer. Now, if you're the eight-year-old child and this is the environment in your home, when you lay your head on the pillow at night, what are you praying? Tell me, Scott. What yeah, you're, you're praying that mom and dad will love each other yeah, or God, some semblance of that. Yeah, but God, you know, help my mom and dad to get along. Well, if I'm eight years old and this goes on and on and on, then I draw a conclusion. God does not answer prayer. Yeah. And when I draw that conclusion, God is not all-powerful or God is not real. So what's happening is, and it's kind of a, you've got to connect the dots here. Uh, when we wrestle in our marriages, and by the way, uh, it doesn't mean in a marriage you can't disagree. Every couple disagrees. The question is, how do you handle the disagreement? You know, how how do you manage that? But when there's just chaos in the home and chaos in the marriage, uh, it is detrimental uh, to a child. And what we found is, especially, Scott, if the child is in high school, the damage uh, increases 100%. I mean, it's like they're, they're twice as likely to be severely damaged in terms of their discipleship by that. So if I could give you one quick anchor that if you're a married couple that you can throw out immediately is to work on your marriage and have the best marriage you can. Oh, it brings security and actually has a, 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 an effect. I don't think it's indirect. I think it's direct. A direct effect on the uh, you know, discipleship and development uh, of your child. It's an anchor. Mm-hmm. They're, again, remember, we're talking to 26 and 39 year olds who grew up going to church. And if they said mom and dad had a good marriage, compared to those said, no, my mom and dad's marriage, either you know they split up or it was rough, the ones with the parents with the better marriage were more likely to be in church. We, we can't dismiss that. Yeah. We've been preaching this for years. Um, you know, it's because it's a biblical principle it that's is. true, but the data bears it out. It again, does. It does. Ephesians time. chapters 5 and 6, that's and right. then talks about children obey your parents, but right before that in chapter 5, 11 verses, I think, on 22 through 32 on how you should love your wife and how wives should respect their husbands. And, and, and you got to note there, it does say, and if your husband deserves it, you need to respect him. That's not what the text says. Mm-hmm. It's grace. And Christ models that you respect him whether he deserves it or not. Well, that's what that's what you do in a marriage, you know, exactly. and that's what makes it work. And I could look at the husband's end too. You don't love your wife based on deserving it. It's grace. Mm-hmm. You love her even though she doesn't deserve it sometimes. So yeah. that's an important point. Oh, fantastic! Now I know our listeners are already wondering how do I get this book, and uh, we we actually want to give away some copies on the program. And at the end, we're going to tell you exactly how you can get. Uh, potentially some free copies, and then we'll tell you also. Well, well let's you, do that. You can go to Amazon and get books easy. That's one of the quickest, easiest ways. You Amazon. can go uh, if you go to the, if you're a Georgia pastor, by the way, and you go to the EGBC store on the GBC site, Georgia Baptist Convention site. Uh, the proceeds go to Missions Georgia, so I'd encourage you if you're local to do that. But if you're out of state or somewhere else, or just easier for you on Amazon, that's fine. You're asking your local Christian bookstore, easy to get. But here's what we'll do: we'll give away uh, uh, four copies, two downloads of it, and two soft covers. And the way we're going to do it is uh, if you'll just uh, tweet out someone encouraging them to listen to this podcast, tag me in it, at Steve R. Parr. Of course, I have a timestamp. The first four of those I see, I'm going to send a copy of the book, either a free download or a soft cover. Uh, so do that, and I'll message you. So uh, I encourage you to do that. So let's give away four copies that way. All right, fantastic. So uh, you heard that. If you just tweet out. Uh, and tag Steve on that, and uh, and give us your your Twitter again. Yes, at Steve R. My middle initials are Steve R. Par. And again, ask people to listen to this podcast, and uh, it's got the podcast to be up. They can tag in any time, yeah. right? And Par has uh, as two, two R's, R's correct on the, on the right. end, that's so right. you want to make sure to include that. Very good. All right, fantastic. So let's let's move ahead, and that's a great one yeah. uh, that mom and dad love each other, have that unconditional love and respect in the home. Right. Uh, let's give give us another angle. Well, here, here's another one that connects uh, home and church. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it wouldn't surprise you that if mom and dad do not go to church, it's unlikely those children are in church. Now, there's exceptions to everything, but sure. less likely compared to the parents who do go to church. But here's what you've got to see. Here's the anchor. If mom and dad are active in church, they're a little more likely to be in church, obviously, than if mom and dad aren't in church. But here's the kicker. We found that when mom and dad serve in the church, it goes off the charts compared to those who just attend. As a matter of fact, what was interesting, Scott, was if you attend, it makes a little bit of difference compared to those who don't attend. If mom and dad serve in the church, it makes a huge difference. So pastors who are listening, you've got to love this. Mm. Uh, you need to share this with your parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they are serving in the church compared to the person who comes every other Sunday or sits on the back row and doesn't do anything and doesn't take notes and doesn't sing in the choir, the ones who sing in the choir, they serve as ushers or Sunday school teachers or deacons, their children are more likely to be in church than the one who never takes any ownership of life in the church. Wow. So in other words, serving in church as a parent is an anchor for your children. You need, again, to serve. Now, let's talk about why that is for a second, Scott. Let's go back to the eight-year-old mentality here, the nine-year-old mentality. We're taking them to Sunday school and vacation Bible school and worship. We're talking about God loves them, and now Jesus is the Son of God and how the Bible is real and we can trust it, and it's divinely inspired. And uh, then they come across this text we teach and preach about that Jesus is asked, which is the most important commandment? And Scott, I'll put you a little Bible trivia. Jesus said, what's the most important commandment out of 600 Old Testament commands, Scott? What was it? <laughs> it was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There you go. Yeah. Kids know that. Love the Lord your God. But listen to this. With all, all, yes. all, all. Yeah. Now, watch this. If I'm just going to church sporadically or if I'm going to church just kind of checking it in and snoozing through it and just kind of going through the motions, there's a disconnect with my child. They're thinking, my, my dad loves God some. My mama loves God a lot, but Jesus said we're to love him with all. So what we're doing, we're mm. discrediting our Savior. We're discrediting his very words. Mm. We're saying Jesus didn't either really mean that, you know, or, or we're not obligated to that. No, you've got to show them that you're all in. So it's very important. And we found this, and we looked at it with moms and dads, and uh, it was uh, from 50 to 65% more, depending on who you were asking about, uh, more likelihood compared to everybody else they were in church if mom and dad were serving in the church when they look back and reflected on that because, again, it, it, it adds credibility to your faith. They're able to see it demonstrated. Now, we know trust Christ is in your heart, mm-hmm. but for your children, they can't see your heart. But when they see you devoted not only to church attendance, but when you're there, you're giving yourself to it, it, it gives credibility. And what it means is Later, when they go through any, whether it's an intellectual storm or a faith storm or whatever, they've got these anchors, these roots from their childhood where mom and dad, that's the greatest influence they have. I mean, it, it is, and, and it's, it's having an impact, and they're more likely to be in church. So I want to encourage uh, our, our parents out there. You, you've got to be serving. It's not, I mean, it's, it's having an effect on the discipleship of your child. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a lesson in action, so it's a huge anchor. Oh, man, fan, fantastic. That And that... That that is that really you can totally see how that ties in, and I even think about uh, the multi generational churches, and I'm sure many of us are thinking about sure. that. And some of the guys listening to this, the pastors are thinking about their own church right. of the multi generational churches where uh, you saw the most the pillars of the church, the, those that were giving the most financially, serving the most, showing up. They're you know, but the old phrase there every time the doors open, their kids are the ones who are usually there with their families. That's right. In that second, third generation when they're there in their twenties and thirties. 
uh, beginning their own families, assuming they didn't move away. So we, we do see that. Give us another big anchor. Well, let's let's go into the church right now and give one that's unique okay. to the church. And here's one uh, I don't think, Scott, you've ever seen anywhere because I tell you, I have it, and it's very unique. We found out that uh, when a young adult looked back and said, you know what, I loved my pastor when I was growing up. Compared to that, says, you know, I didn't like my pastor or you know, I had seven pastors growing up. I never knew any of them because they kept coming in and out. Mm-hmm. The one who said, when I was a child, I loved my pastor. They were much, much more likely to be in church than someone who did not. I've never seen that quantified anywhere. And you can look in the book and see the actual data. And by the way, when you look at these margins, these weren't things that were 2 and 3 and 4% difference because uh, there was a margin of error of 3.5%. So we ignore those things. These are the things that are 60 and 70 and 80 and 100 and sometimes even 1,000% different. And this is a good example of that is that uh, loving your pastor when you're growing up. So it sets up in the pastors. Uh, you cannot have a CEO mentality. You've got to be with your boys and girls. Uh, you've got to go to the youth camps. You've got to be engaged in vacation Bible school. Uh, if you're not doing children's sermons, you've got to find ways to be embracing children. And didn't Jesus model this? You remember, Scott, when the, the children came to Jesus? You remember how his staff, the, the apostles, mm-hmm. responded? They, they shooed the children away, and right. Jesus did not rebuke the children. Right. Jesus rebuked the apostles. Don't you dare keep those boys and girls from coming before me because he, he recognized. Now, let me show you the little, what I, I interpret to be the underpinning of this. Now, going back to the way a child thinks. Now, you and I, Scott, and our audience knows uh, about the, the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, meaning, Scott, you and I need to go through no human agent to get to God. You need not go to a pastor or a priest or a denominational worker. or You, you can go to God because of the blood of Christ directly to him. That, that is a fact. However, for a child, not understanding all these uh, nuances, for them, here, who is the pastor to a child? Yeah, he's a representative yeah, of the Lord. He's God's representative. Yeah. Now, think about it. Therefore, if I don't like God's representative, <laughs> I, I'm drawing a wrong conclusion, by the way. Yeah. That's what children do. They often draw wrong conclusions. I'm drawing the conclusion that God is not likable or, you know, God's not lovable or, you right. know, this, it's a wrong conclusion. And, and back to the parents that we, we reinforce that likability or not. We do. You know, it's important. Uh, you will you will disagree with your pastor. It's going to happen eventually. He's going to hurt your feelings. Say something you don't like, or, or, or you know, insult you, whether he means to or not. Maybe even accidentally. It's very important the way you address that, and you need to address it, by the way. But you don't need to chew him up in front of your children, mm-hmm. because what you're doing, you're you're undermining again that that office and that role, and it's actually you're damaging their faith. So I'm, right. I'm not saying ignore it. You need to talk to him personally. But, you know, we, we jokingly say as pastors many times, people go home and chew up the pastor for lunch. Exactly. And you've got to be very cautious about doing that. And I'm not trying to just – I'm not trying to protect pastors here. I'm trying to protect children. You know, mm-hmm. if the pastor made a mistake, he needs to be confronted about that. But it needs to be done biblically, you know, you and them, not going home and growling in front of the children about it. It says another thing to churches also. You can't, you can't, be, you can't be rotating pastors in every two or three years. Mm. And, and Scott, you and I both know churches. They just, again, they just tough on pastors. And instead of running them off, our first goal needs to be to coach them up and to pray them up and to get them there. And sometimes things are unavoidable. I understand that when there's moral things involved and you can't deal with that. But where it's just leadership and skills, you know, you're doing better if your child grows up with one pastor than four or five pastors. Every pastor is going to leave eventually. Maybe when your child's a teenager, you can't avoid that. But it shouldn't be he just started 18 months ago. Hopefully he's been there for nine years. Right. And uh, the longer you can keep your pastor, it actually helps the children. And and pastors need to understand this too. Uh, you know, I, I look back, my pastor, uh, well, I, I'm saying this 
vocally, so I've got to be careful what I say because it, someone might connect to us. I'll just say this. I loved him. I don't know if everybody else did, but I know this. I loved my pastor growing up. Made a difference. Yeah, I, I did too. I absolutely did. They were dear friends of our family. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I totally can relate can relate to that. It also, what you just said about longevity of ministry, I think, is key. It really comes out in this in this data point. Right. That, that you have to have a long-term view, even if you're if you if your retirement is within five or ten years, you're building a relationship with children that the future church is going to reap right. if they stay. Correct, uh, and you're helping that glue to stick uh, by making part of your leadership plan or strategy. Right, not just your leaders, not just your seniors, not just your givers, but part of the target of your leadership plan is building relationships with the children in a healthy way. That uh, that that sows into the future of the church. So that's fantastic. Give us another big anchor uh, well, that that's taken. You, away. you bet. And uh, remember, there's 15. We're not going to be able to cover all in the podcast. We, we so I hope your audience will get this. But uh, oh, let it, me ask you a question yeah. before you do this. Yeah, sure. Well, t- tell 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 the guys that are listening how how is the data presented in the book? How do you try to? You bet. Because I know well, some want to see the numbers. You hear that, and and you you'll see the numbers. But I want to encourage you when you read the book. It's not just data's numbers. It's our stories. I tell you about my family and my. I've got three children, by the way, Scott, and uh, two are in church and one is not. And uh, certainly, I'm I'm bothered, you know, that one's not in church. Uh, she is not antagonistic. Uh, you'll read a lot about that and and why that is. And actually, from doing this research, I discovered a lot about her experience and why. It's it's tougher for her to be in church. Hmm. I'd be if none of my three were in church. I'd be really examining me. You know what did I do wrong? But the reality is, I raised them all the same, and two are in church. So it really had more to do with her experience personally, more than with my parenting, quite frankly. But when you read the book, uh, it is laid out with the anchors in terms of a chapter. For example, the chapter about marriage says, "Daddy, do you love Mama?" That's the title of the chapter. Okay, sure. But you're you're reading about the divorce of my parents, and it happened when I was an adult. So it gets very personal here. Mm. Uh, Tom Christ, by the way, we need to give a shout out. He was the co-author yeah, here. And I'm sorry sure. I didn't do that earlier, mm-hmm. but Tom and I, he's a research specialist here at the Georgia Baptist Convention. Yeah, very and, uh, very talented. Yeah, so, he's good at so what he does. We co-write this, and we we share. He writes chapter, I write a chapter. It's not every other one, but my point being, if you just like stories, it's not just Data is a number, okay. but the data is a number are in there, and I'm not giving them on the podcast now just not to bore anybody with this. It's like our interaction here. That's what the book is like. It's okay. very, very fresh and, and real and, very, as you can see, very applicable. You can you can right now begin to apply the things we've talked oh, about on this podcast. No so, question. You know, so that's no the neat question. thing about it. Well, fantastic. Thanks for, for that little uh, parenthetical. You bet. Just want to know how to, how, how to expect the data to, 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 to be presented and how we'll engage with the material. Give us, give us a fourth big anchor. You bet. And I want to go back and add one more thing. There are discussion questions also at the end oh, of each good. one. That's, okay. that's important, too. That's but here's a fourth anchor. Uh, let's talk about the college experience. Uh, I, I was really uh, encouraged and challenged by this. We found three of the 15 big anchors have to do with the college experience. It was hmm. much larger than I'd anticipated. Uh, I served as a college pastor for three years of my ministry, and I've always had a great affection for college-age students. This, if anything, has enhanced that. And I'm going this Thursday in a couple of days. This is being done on a Tuesday uh, to speak to a college group at a local college. And I, I really enjoy that opportunity. But let me set this up by sharing a couple of things, Scott, before I give you the point. Most young adults who do leave church, in our survey, 60% they left between the ages of 18 and 22, which is the college age time frame. Now, acknowledging not everybody goes to college, okay? So, but during that time frame. Now, again, I want to ask you in the audience a question. I'll let you answer on behalf of the audience, and I think you'll know the answer. If we were to have 20 pastors in an audience right now, 
and we were looking at their church and their Bible study groups from preschool, children, students, adults, subdivided if it's a larger congregation, you know, bed babies, twos and threes, and your third and fourth grade, fifth and sixth, and your students, and then your younger adults all the way through your most senior adult. Now, think about it for a second. In your experience uh, as a church consultant, what is the least likely represented Bible study group from preschool through the most senior adult? What would you think it would be? Oh, well, it's the college Group, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. You know, in, in my experience, I would say it's, it's about nine in ten. Yeah. That do not have a college yeah. ministry. When, the, the exceptions are when I and I've you've seen this. The exceptions are you're in a college town and you happen to have a kick in college program. Right. And they're not tithers or givers or servers. You just have a heart for those, or somebody in your church has a heart for those. And you're an anomaly, and everybody knows this. Right. Like, where are these college kids coming from? Right. right. It's always seen as the exception. The, mm-hmm. the rule is that is the least represented group. As, there's no doubt about it. And here's the irony. Catch this. The time that we're most likely to lose our young adults is the time that we're least likely providing ministry. Ooh. That is not coincidence. You mean ministry to them or for them? Both to them and for them. Okay. We're not. In other words, when I graduated high school, and this is an anchor I didn't have, so I overcame this one. Hmm. When I graduated high school, I'd been with my peers. There's five or six of us in a smaller congregation. Been with them for four years, but mind you, I'm only 17 years of age. So I've been with them, seems like all my life, you know, in those four years. It feels like it. My next option for Bible study was young married, age 22 to 77, by the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. This church got young married in it, people in their 30s and 40s. Right. Well, let me tell you, at 17 years of age, I did not want to go to a young married Bible study class. There was nothing for me. <laughs> exactly. well, let me tell you what we found. Here's the anchor. We found that if their church provided a ministry for college students, hmm. they were 33% more likely to still be in church than those whose home churches did not provide such a ministry. So I, w- I would say, Scott, even the smallest church, you-, you need to find a way. Now, I-, I just wrote an article that went out today. You may have read it already, Scott, probably in your inbox, called Myths About College-Age Ministry. And And one of the myths is, we don't need college ministry. There's no college in our town. That is a myth. Uh, if you don't have a college in your town, it's probably more important for you to have one because not everybody goes to college. Here's a question. Does your town have people who are 18, 19, 20, and 21 years of age? And the answer is yes in every yes, community. Every, yep. every community needs a college, not college ministry, catch it, college age, age ministry. Mm-hmm. Another thing you got to remember, not everybody goes to college, so you've got to provide that. So every church does. And another thing I hear, Scott, another one of the myths that I put in this article is that uh, we don't have the resources. That's a myth. Yes, you do. It doesn't cost a dime. It requires one person, one leader who will take this and say, I'm going to focus my time and energy, not just on Sundays, but more importantly, Monday through Saturday, on reaching out to young adults, age 18 to 22. Let me tell you, it makes a big difference uh, in whether your students remain. Even if your students go off to college, when they come home for Thanksgiving, when they come home for Christmas, when they're home for three months of the summer, are, are they going to reconnect or are they just going to stay home because there's nothing for them? And we talk about how, well, they've got jobs and they've got cars. and they, Scott, that is a myth. The reason they're not attending is not because of their car or their job. It's because we're not providing anything for them. Mm-hmm. And, and you say, but Steve, you know, Believers should be more mature, and it's intergenerational. Yeah, I understand that. But remember, this age young adult is not mature. They are maturing. Right. And so you do. And think about this, Scott. The younger someone is, or excuse me, the less mature someone is, the more attention they require. I've got a six-month-old grandbaby, 
at night we sleep or my daughter sleeps with them by the side. He sure. was this weekend and stayed with my wife and I so they could get some rest. And, and we, you know, we gave him eight hours of attention. We didn't let him out of our sight, you know, <laughs> right. the whole night. Now my 17 year old, she's up in a room by herself. She can, she's, she's more mature. The, the less mature someone is, the more attention they require. Therefore, preschool, children, students. But what's happening is we are assuming when they graduate high school, now they're fully mature. Mm. They're not. They're still maturing, and we've got to provide. The smallest church hearing me, you've got to find a way to provide a ministry folks in college. It's just an anchor, mm-hmm. and so we've got to yeah. do that. It helps. It makes a difference in whether they're in church six, eight, ten, ten, ten years following that. Yeah, and we could totally go into a tangent on millennials, but they're very into uh, relationships. Right. They're, they're still uh, in. Uh, they're, they're very much autonomous in their thinking in a lot of respects, and related to. Also, they're heavy on self-actualization, self-expression. They want their own thing. Right. Right. They don't they do. want to be integrated into the adult ministry. Well, here's the good news. Don't, don't take any offense at that because if you do what you and I are describing here now, they will come to the worship service, which is birth through or whatever you do for children in preschool and children's worship. But it's through 99. It's an, right. The worship on Sunday morning is an intergenerational experience. And if you're providing ministry for them, they will plug into the intergenerational experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so it's not their anti-senior adult or baby boomer. Right. They'll, they'll be there, but you've got to have that focus ministry also where you're, you're meeting some unique needs they have at that point in their life, which are not necessarily being met during the worship experience at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm, so you've mm-hmm. got, you got to do both. Well, we're really anxious to know what all the 15 big anchors are. We're running low on time, so I want to kind of move because – Probably just more to satisfy curiosity, out of the 10 lighter anchors, I'm thinking what would qualify as a lighter anchor? I guess it's influential. It's present in the data. It's not as heavy as the 15. Right. Give us a sample of yeah, one let, of those. Let me maybe. give you one of those 10 right here. It's a, a balanced approach to church attendance. Now, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, sure. I don't think I've ever seen this before again. Uh, we ask those who were still in church, how how many hours were you in church when you were a teenager? Between age 6 and 16, in a typical week, how many hours were you in church? And it was kind of like a bell curve. You know what that means? Oh, yeah. You know, you get in the middle, it's, it's higher than you, you imagine it goes down, down, down. Well, here, 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 here it was. The sweet spot was three to four hours in a typical week in church. Now, bear in mind, that doesn't mean three to four services. Okay, that would usually mean two to three services right. would take three to four hours. Yes. Now, you know, when I was growing up, it was Sunday, mor- Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, discipleship training, Sunday night worship, Tuesday night outreach, Wednesday night. And I'm not objecting to that. I'm just saying we found that if you move uh, to five, six, seven, eight hours, the further you went away from that three to four hour window, the less likely they were in church. Also, if you move to the other side, if, if it was two hours, one hour, half an hour, Numbers, again, decreased. So that sweet spot was in the middle. So with our children, it's kind of like the, I call it the, the, the hypothesis or the theory of the three bears. You know, you don't want the porridge too hot and you don't want it too cold. You want it just right. Well, church did it the same way. It's like the three bears. You, you don't want to do it too much. It, it actually frustrates them. You don't want to do it too little. It's like it's not a priority. you got to find that place in the middle. So you're looking for, again, two to three services a week. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, a lot more I'd like to say about that from my experience as a youth pastor in the day and how oh, I would yeah. do it different if I were doing that today. And uh, I know sometimes as pastors, we get frustrated when somebody's not there every time the doors are open. Right. Uh, and I think people should be committed. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I think people should be engaged yeah. weekly and serving. But uh, we may have to rethink this, you know, uh, seven, eight hours of church a week. 
Uh, now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't serve and worship God every day and read our Bibles. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about leaving your house, driving to the church and doing things. It can be too much. It can be too little. But remember, again, that was not one of the heavier anchors. That was one of the lighter anchors. It was a less of a factor, but yet it was there. It was it was notable. Yeah, and that's – okay, so that gives us a good idea on the, on what your, your lighter anchor ideas are. And that's very, very good data. G- give us another lighter anchor. Okay, uh, here one that was good, and being a former youth pastor, I appreciated this. We found that going to youth camps, Christian youth camps, mm-hmm. had a positive correlation between those who were in church as adults. Okay. And on the other hand, I'll tell you this, there was a negative correlation between children's Christian camps. And I'll try to explain a little bit of what I think that is about. Oh, yeah, I'm let's, curious. Let's talk about the students first. If you've got teenagers, uh, you would do well. And uh, we're sitting across with our producer right now who actually – grew up in my youth ministry and went to a lot of camps. And I think what he would tell you is that uh, when you go to those camps a week, you kind of, I always say you starve the flesh and you feed the spirit. True. You know, you you get away from the TV and the things. And you're you're hearing, uh, you know, six months of Bible study in a week. You know, you have three Bible studies a day. And you're and what happens about Wednesday, man? God begins to break through, and man, there are life changing decisions. Sure, I've seen young men and women uh, come to know Christ. I've seen them called to ministry. I've seen them turn, you know, uh, around and repent of things and and stop and start. And it's not a guarantee, but we found that the more camps they went to, it was actually there was a correlation. It was, there was a positive correlation. The more camps they went to, the more likely they were in church. Now, bear in mind again, it's a lighter anchor. It's not as heavy mm-hmm. as some of the earlier things, but it was significant. But Again, it was curious how with children's camps, it was mildly detrimental. And here, here's my theory on this, and I don't know, but the best interpretation I can give you, I think sometimes for children, camp can be traumatic. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to, especially, you do not want a Christian camp to be traumatic. It's not traumatic because of the content. It's traumatic because when you're seven years old, you yeah. get homesick right. and when you're eight years old. And I'm not saying don't do Christian children's camps, but I'm saying if they call one mom, I, I tell mama, come and get them. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't force them to do that. Don't put a know? bad taste in no, their mouth. No, you, you want them to leave with a good taste in their mouth, and I would shorten those. And I'd I, I think those, but uh, I would not object. Uh, thinking back now, if, uh, with my grandchildren, I'd say I, I wouldn't worry about camps until they get in the seventh, eighth grade. But when they get there, I'm going to send them to a camp every year. I mean, it's just going to be part of their experience, their mm-hmm. discipleship. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. Steve, this data is, is so enlightening, and uh, it sounds like the – the read is relatively easy. It's this is not a difficult read. Uh, it, it's academic, but at the same time, it's a, it's an easy read. Uh, no matter what your age or education background, male or female, yeah, because the stories blend with it and yeah. it's practical. And, so, and these yeah. are big practical takeaways, right? Exactly, right? exactly right. Yeah. Well, this is this is fantastic. I know all of us are asking these questions. Yeah. We're looking at congregations that are uh, often lopsided uh, toward the seniors, sure. and and we're concerned about. The young, uh, younger generation that we have, the ones that are still coming, and and uh, and all the things we wrestle through with that. So this is a very good read. I would also encourage pastors to get their youth pastor, yes, to read this book as well. Yeah, can I give a couple of things thoughts there? Uh, sure. One is this would be great for study groups. It does have the questions in it. Uh, we're okay. posting things on whythestay.com, like a six week studies up now. You got a ten week and a thirteen week study. Whythestay.com. Yeah, yeah whythestay.com. Whythestay is all one word. com. Uh, you see more information, uh, consider maybe an event built around it. Uh, this is more than a book. We want it to be a movement, and we're encouraging churches next, uh, well, not just next year, but any year, the Sunday following Mother's Day, which is typically our graduation recognition Sunday, to have an I Will Stay Day where you're calling teenagers, high school graduates, and young adults to commitment to stay. Mm. 
to be committed not only to Christ, but to be committed to the body of Christ, which I don't know if we can always separate. So we've got to be cautious there. But we need to we want to call young adults to commitment. So I want this to be a movement. So so go to whytheystay.com and learn more about this. Also, Scott, a great book for child dedications, a great book for parents, for things like that, uh, for, uh, again, uh, youth ministry leaders for parents. So there's a lot of, a lot of uses for this. And, again, the, the, the key is not the book. The key is the information. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to help any church I can. I appreciate By the way, if you're listening to this podcast, please, not because to, to get a free book, tweet this out. Challenge people to listen to this. Get, get this into the hands of your parents. If just this podcast. They never purchased a book. I don't care. I want them to have this information. And this podcast, I think, can be very helpful in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how a few people can get the book again. Okay, you sure. Tell us, uh, and I'm not sure, based on how we break this up in post-production, whether or not they've heard it. So we are giving away four free books. Right? We are. That's correct. Uh, we're looking at two downloads and two uh, soft-cover copies. Soft-cover right. copies, because this does come in hardcover. So we want to make you aware of that. You can go to Amazon or the GBC website. Right. But uh, talk about how you're giving away a few copies. Yeah, real simple. If you'll do a tweet out to encourage someone to listen to this podcast, if you can tag it, that'd be great. But be sure you tag me at Steve R. That's in my middle name, R. Par, P-A-R-R, at Steve R. Par. And I'm going to take this the first four uh, based on the timestamps. I'm going to give away two downloads of the book and then two soft covers. So, uh it's easy to tweet it out, and you might get a free book. All right, fantastic. Well, Steve, thanks so much for what you do. We appreciate Tom Kreitz as well. Absolutely. Uh, chipping in big time on the research and putting this book together with you. Why They Stay, make sure to look it up on Amazon or at gabaptist.org. And, of course, whytheystay.com is the, the home website for the book. And we'll also post this uh, podcast on whytheystay.com also. Absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, on the show notes for this podcast, you'll find those links as well. This has been another episode of Network. We appreciate you listening. Uh, Go cast the net of the gospel.